What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. This is the word of the Lord. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Are you familiar with the book, uh, The Way Things Work, or the newer version, The Way Things Work Now? Uh, It's uh, it's this interesting study on uh, uh, just the way ordinary things that we often use um, actually function. It's a fascinating book. I try to go through it with my girls. Um, but what's interesting is it's ordinary things like, uh, for example, a lock mechanism. You put a key in, what exactly is going on inside that you can't see? Uh, different things like how the gears work in a car, different diagrams. It's kind of fun just to understand how some of these uh, things work. And it's fascinating, but what's interesting is that oftentimes you don't actually need to know how some of those things work in order for them to work. We use them every day. Uh, uh, for example, I have a cell phone I use uh, quite frequently, and there's many things. I don't know how it works, but still it does. <laughs> uh, but we have to have some basic knowledge of how some things work. Your car, for example, uh, you need to know uh, that it runs on gasoline, because eventually you're going to be driving it, and if you don't know that it runs on gasoline and it needs gasoline, you're going to end up stranded on the side of a road. With nowhere to go, you may need to know that at, uh, every now and then you have to replace the, the brake pads. Uh, if you don't know how to do that, at least perhaps you need someone who understands something of how it is that things work, a basic knowledge uh, of how it is uh, that things keep running. Well, in the passage we're going to focus on today, verses 23 and 24, uh, Paul, uh, as it were, uh, opens up the hood and shows us how it is that the church works. Uh, What keeps things uh, running? Uh, He has uh, put, we've seen uh, in uh, the book of Acts as well as this letter, Paul's testimony of how it is that he's put his heart and soul uh, into ministry, uh, giving a godly example uh, to the Thessalonians of what it means to serve the Lord. He is uh, joined with them in suffering. Uh, He has uh, sympathized with them as they've known persecution and grief of various kinds. He has a sober assessment 
of what it is that they face and the assaults of the evil one. He has sent Timothy to them. He longs to even see them himself. He has tirelessly taught them both in person and, and through this letter. But when you get down to it, uh, what makes any of these things work and effective is the work of God. Uh, and so Paul appeals to the Lord that as the God who sanctifies his people. Uh, there's often, quite often in Paul's letters, there's some record of his prayers for the church. Uh, this kind of prayer is slightly different. We've actually seen it once before uh, in this letter to the Thessalonians. Oftentimes he begins his letters with recording how it is that he does pray. What's interesting about this is that here is Paul actually writing the prayer itself. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. This is itself the prayer. Um, so as the Thessalonians would have read and seen this letter and come to this point, they finally realize that, wait a minute, if, if we've had any benefit from anything that Paul has been teaching, uh, any encouragement in the words that have come thus far, as we've gotten to this point, we realize that it actually has come because here is a letter that is already couched in a prayer that's been offered to the Lord. He's opening up the hood. You need to know where it is that the life has come from. From the Lord, because Paul has appealed to him as the God who sanctifies and the God who works. And inasmuch as we have the need for the continued work of our God, we have the example here that we appeal to him as the God who sanctifies. Um, I, I have uh, six points in this sermon, and I'll try to keep them brief. A six-point sermon, a double sermon, <laughs> uh, but encouragements and directions as to what it means to appeal to our God as the God who sanctifies. And we're pretty much just going to work through this text, verses 23 and 24. Number one, we appeal to God as the God of peace. Uh, in this letter, it seems that the Thessalonians needed some encouragement as to the fact that he was, in fact, indeed the God of peace. Um, uh, you can consider perhaps the fact that the, the gospel, when it came to them, uh, is something that brought a lot of social unrest, perhaps surprising, uh, and even much suffering uh, to them. So it's come up a few times. I'll just refresh your memory uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, as he reminds them that you've been called uh, to wait for his Son from heaven as the Son of God, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come delivers us from the wrath of come. Later in chapter 5, verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine that as these uh, new Christians had, had come uh, to know what is the conviction of sin, a conviction of, of sin that Paul had described as formerly idolatry uh, in verse one, chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, that they would uh, perhaps be filled with insecurity as they know what it is that they in fact deserve uh, as sinners and what it is that they've done. In fact, some of them, uh, some of them, you recall, have already started to die. Uh, now imagine this, you have, uh, you have Christians here, new Christians, uh, probably only a six-month period or so between when Paul had been there and when he's writing this letter having uh, some of them a lifetime of idolatry and a brief few months of faltering faithfulness before the Lord and already some of them dying. And you wonder, what awaits me? 
on the day of wrath. When so much of my life has been set unto the very reason why the, why the wrath of God comes in the first place. What's lying before me when only a few brief months of, again, faltering young faithfulness unto our God? And so he reminds them uh, multiple times that this is, in fact, the God of peace who sanctifies. What is this peace? Colossians 1.20, Paul says, of the peace that God has made, is he's made peace by the blood of Christ's cross. This is a purchased peace by the blood of Christ. Romans 5.1, talking about how it is that we have been counted righteous and forgiven of our sins, that since therefore we've now been justified by his, uh, by his blood, we have, we have peace with God as those who have been reconciled to our God. And here's Paul's point in verse 23 of our text today, that the God who sanctifies you is the same God from whom has come your peace. It is as the God of peace that he sanctifies you. Um, there are times when I think we misunderstand where sanctification comes from. Uh, God hates our sin, and so should we. Uh, God does not make peace with our sin, and nor should we. Uh, but sanctification does not flow from the remaining animosity between God and us. Sanctification comes from God as the God of peace. Here's how this works. He's reconciled us to him by the blood of Christ. And sometimes we imagine that where does sanctification come from? Well, God looks at us and he can't bear to look at us, so he has to change us. And it's actually almost the opposite, that here God has reconciled us to himself by the blood of Christ. And he can't bear to put us out of his presence or to refuse to look at us. And so he changes us to make us fit for his presence. This is a work of his peace and of his grace and kindness. What makes the difference? What is it that turns the holiness of God towards sinners like us to save us rather than to destroy us? It's this, that he is the God of peace, and we've been reconciled to him. That's number one, we pray to him as the God of peace. Number two, uh, part of what we appeal to him for is we pray for the full extent or the full reach of his work in us. Look again at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify you completely. We're familiar with uh, similar language in the writings of Paul, Philippians 1.6. Paul is certain that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And there is the sense of, of having a sense of, uh, of, of, of finishing something that has begun. There's a kind of maturing uh, to it. Here the idea is slightly different. It's the sense of incorporating something into its full extent, sort of gaining the full territory. Uh, think about having a complete deck of cards. It's a perennial problem in my house. <laughs> we want to play a card game, and you open it up, and you realize, oh, I only have 50, 50 cards here instead of 52. You need a complete deck. If I go and uh, go to the grocery store, uh, it's a rare time when I come back, and I've, and, I've, and I've completely gotten everything on the list. There's always something that I can't find. Uh, some of us who, who, love, who love lists know what it's like to have the satisfying feeling of checking off everything on the list. It's that kind of sense of completion. Here's the Lord uh, going to the full extent of all it is uh, that he would do. And, and some of us, perhaps, we speak this way of sanctification, we're, we feel a little bit nervous uh, because we've been overburdened by the sense of what sanctification 
means. There's a feeling of, of never really being good enough, right? There's always a little bit more. There's always more of us that the Lord calls us to, and he works in our life. But that is, again, to think of sanctification only in terms of what we do rather than what God does. Uh, we do have an obligation that is broad. The Lord works in sanctification in terms of how it is that you think, how it is that you feel, uh, your own uh, self-identity and conception, your sexuality, your political thinking, what you do for entertainment and relaxation. Uh, all of these things are under the purview of what the Lord calls us to, but we remember that this is the work of God, that he does these things. So we think of the broad reaches of what he does in working in us and changing us. Remember this, that there is no area of your life that is beyond the pale of the benefits of his peace. And he will bring that to you. There is a comfort knowing that the whole of your life is in the hands of God. And he will sanctify us completely. That's what Paul prays for. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Number three. Uh, actually, number three and four, Paul gets more specific here about what exactly we are to pray for. Now, I need a, a bit of a side comment here on some things in this text that are a little bit challenging. Let me read again uh, partway through verse 23 uh, and make some comments. Uh, verse 23 again, and, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Um, this is a text, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but it's a text that is at times uh, used to defend uh, what is called a trichotomous, uh, trichotomous understanding of the nature of man. Uh, trico, referring to three parts, uh, and then the ending sort of, sort of divided into three parts. So the idea is that there are three parts that you can be divided into and taken from this text, spirit soul and body, and the understanding is something along these lines, that the spirit is what relates to God, the body relates to what is the material world, tangible kind of things, and the soul somehow combines and knits these two things together. Um, what I would argue for is something uh, different from that. It's what I would call, or actually John Cooper in the book Body, Soul, and Life Everlasting, uh, argues for what's called holistic dualism, or perhaps a dualistic holism. Uh, there are two aspects to our nature. On one hand, what is unseen, immaterial, and invisible, and on the other hand, uh, that which is visible, material, and tangible. Two aspects, but we are integrated persons. The idea that body and soul are separated is an unnatural thing. Uh, it's called death in this tearing apart of body and soul. But throughout the rest of Paul's writings, he clearly uh, has this understanding of human nature. Just a couple uh, points to reference here. 2 Corinthians 4.16, as Paul talks about how outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly being renewed. You get a sense of the outer aspect of human nature as well as the inner working, what is invisible, uh, immaterial, and intangible, but still an inner working. Same in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, as he talks about us being cleansed from every defilement of body and spirit. Again, the outer and inner. Uh, some of the language in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 is a little bit difficult, and uh, one commentator I was reading I think is rather helpful and divides it into two main phrases where Paul says something about the spirit, and then he says something about the soul and body. So I'd maybe translate something along these lines. Paul says this, may your spirit 
be kept whole, and may your soul and body be kept blameless. May your spirit be kept whole, and may your soul and body be kept blameless. Here's points three and four for you, and we'll work through them. That Paul prays for your inner man, and then Paul prays for the whole man, body and soul. He prays for the inner man, and then he prays for the whole man. Let's look at what he says about the inner man. As I understand it, may your spirit be kept whole. Whole here is similar to what we've already seen as complete, uh, though it's a little bit different. Uh, it has to do with kind of the quality of something. If, uh, if, you have, if there's an archaeological dig and you uncover a, a first century artifact, say a, a pot or vase or something like that, uh, and, and you realize that, that it's intact, <laughs> it's not broken or shattered, it's a single whole piece. There's something remarkable when you see in that sense that it is whole, it's not fragmented or broken, but it's whole and together. Uh, part of what Paul is praying for is that kind of idea that your spirit would be kept whole. It's contrasted in James 4, 9, as he talks about how we are to, he says there's a call to purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, not to have what are hearts and spirits that are divided in multiple ways, but to be united unto the Lord and purified. Psalm 86, 11, the psalmist prays, that, says, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. What is a wholehearted devotion to the Lord? What we pray for as Paul shows us, as we pray that we, our inner man would be wholly devoted to the Lord. Uh, don't be content with a divided heart. Uh, it's true, inwardly. Uh, there is, as the Scriptures talk about it, a kind of battle between the flesh or remaining sin in us and the Spirit that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, a, war at, a war within us. As the Lord gives what are new and, and desires that are contrary to the sinful desires in us. And he works in us, but we still see and know what our own sinful desires. But don't come to terms with your own sinful desires. As though the Lord is, is merely glad to have those things patiently uh, sitting and inactive. We want them gone. And what is the Lord's desire? To have a whole heart set apart uh, unto him and in devotion to him. Don't be content with a divided Heart, but here's the other encouragement here in terms of how it is that we think about inward sanctification. Uh, inward sanctification involves the changing of our minds and our feelings and our thoughts, oftentimes what we know, but we get confused sometimes and we think that sanctification is simply a matter of how much we know, how much of Scripture we know and perhaps we're able uh, to repeat, how much of theology we're able to uh, speak or to describe, and while that's an important aspect of the Christian life, uh, Paul would encourage us here that sanctification is not merely how much you know, but how truly you know, and how much of you knows what is true. See, that's the call, uh, that the whole of our hearts and the inner man would be set apart unto the Lord. Don't confuse what is a growth and development and the ability to do great things with itself, sanctification. Uh, even someone quite young, there is the call to have a whole heart that is set apart to the Lord. That's what we pray for, that the Lord would uh, preserve our, our spirits whole on the day of Christ Jesus. Number four, we pray not only for the inner man, but we pray for the whole man. Uh, spirit and soul here, I think, uh, are in many ways referring to the same thing, though here 
uh, Paul ends up getting at what is the integrated understanding uh, of, uh, of a person. Uh, it's true the scriptures uh, focus much of sanctification upon the inner man. For example, again, 2 Corinthians 4, as it says, though our outer self is waiting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So also in Ephesians, Paul speaks this way about the work of our God, Ephesians 3.16. Uh, may God grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And later Ephesians 4, uh, verse 23, the call to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You get a sense of how much Paul is focused on the inner man. But not only the inner man, uh, the whole person, body and soul. There's a call, Romans 6, Paul says this. Romans 6.11, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have brought, uh, been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We are to live and to walk in ways that are honoring to the Lord. And we pray even for that, for the whole man, for the whole person, for what is an embodied life of obedience and faithfulness before our God. Just a few uh, comments here. First, uh, inward change always has practical results. <laughs> it is not merely inward working, uh, but it translates into how it is that we live and walk, and we pray for that. That as well is the work of our God inwardly and outwardly as we live. Secondly, Paul does not merely pray for outward conformance. We confuse this sometimes. We think that sanctification is merely a matter of outwardly doing the things that everyone else is doing around us. Paul is not content with that, and neither should we. Uh, you can do all the right things. You can be in all the right services. You can have your Bible open at all the right times. But the call is this, that it's not merely an outward thing, but a whole man, the whole person. Paul says in Romans 14, 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If it does not proceed from faith, it's sin. And so we call, Lord, work in us, sanctify us. May it be that body and soul uh, we are presented blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. And lastly, this, um, we can't pass over the fact that Paul includes the body here in sanctification. It's actually an amazing thing to think about. Um, right now, uh, certainly the way in which uh, our bodies are involved in sanctification is in how it is that we use our bodies. Um, uh, and there's something beautiful, uh, quite beautiful in a life that is set apart unto the Lord. Uh, but it's true that there are various times uh, that we feel rather uncomfortable in our own skin, don't we? <laughs> Uh, whether it's uh, what it is that we want to be or wish we were or perhaps what we once were or compared to what other people are. But Paul includes the body here in the work of sanctification and body and soul. Uh, and there's a future aspect that we need to keep in mind in terms of the Lord's work here as we are waiting for someday when redemptive new creation extends not only to the inner man but also to the outer man in resurrection. Uh, and as much as you feel that, you're, that you in your body are not as you want to be or perhaps even as you feel like you should be, faith translates this into a longing for the resurrection. It extends also to our bodies in resurrected glory. 
That's the call and the cry of faith, that we'd be presented body and soul, blameless before our God. Number five, in praying for this work of sanctification before our God, we pray with our hearts set upon the future coming of Jesus Christ. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Oftentimes when it comes to sanctification, uh, we have goals that are far too (laughs) short-sighted. We simply want to look better now. Uh, We simply want tomorrow to have shown that we have made some progress. And it's true that the scriptures speak about what is a progressive work of our God. Uh, Little by little, we have a confidence that we are enabled more and more to die to sin, to live unto righteousness. In fact, Paul is clear about this this in this very letter. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As you are doing, that you do this so more and more. Again, in verse 10, as he speaks about what is the brotherly love that they have, that they do it more and more. We want what is the progressive work and change day by day in how it is that we live. Uh, But we're sometimes so preoccupied about how it is that we look now. It's like like we're conscious of the fact that someone's uh, looking at our work, looking over our shoulders at what we're doing. And suddenly, if you've ever had that, if you're trying to write something and someone's looking over your shoulder, you start writing not for the finished product, but for the person who's watching. And Paul's concern is, no, what are, we, what are we laboring for? What do we pray for? We pray not merely for how I'm going to look tomorrow or how I'm going to look next week, but what we pray for and long for is not what others will see, but what Christ will see and find at his coming. Uh, it's encouragement in terms of our goal and what we labor for, the long-term fruit at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also a kind of sobriety that this gives us. Uh, We think of the need for the work of our God and his faithfulness and our sanctification, often only in terms of the unsanctified parts of ourselves. But Paul's concern is just as much with the sanctified part. What will keep you for the day of Christ Jesus? Notice again the language. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, guarded, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What will keep you is the faithfulness of our God as he works and he will hold fast to us at the end. That's what we pray for. That's what we work for. That's what we long for. This is what the Lord does in his people. Number six and finally, as we pray for the work of our God, knowing that this is the life of the church as he sanctifies his people, we pray in faith. Uh, Listen to this last uh, section, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, Probably uh, the most obvious kind of parallel text is 1 Corinthians 1.9 where it says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And as Paul speaks there, he's speaking of calling as what I think we could understand as effectual calling. And it's amazing to, to see what it is that God's calling does here, that it's actually his calling that not merely calls you to enter into f- to fellowship with Christ, but here is a calling that carries you into fellowship. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. But in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, He's getting at something, I think, a little bit more inclusive than that. Notice the difference in language in verse 24. It's not merely he who called you, but he who calls you. 
Uh, he spoke in this way earlier in the letter. Chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's a, it is a, a certainly something that includes what is the call uh, to faith in Christ, but also includes all that is uh, encompassed in our life in terms of the calling of what we are to walk in, what we are to believe, and what we are to do before our God. And here's, and here's the point, that oftentimes we think that what is the link between what God calls us to and even commands on one hand, and our sanctification on the other, we think that what binds these things together is our faithfulness. But what does Paul say? What binds the calling of God and the sanctifying work in us is not our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. God is faithful by whom you were called, and he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. See, here's the thing about God's commands, about God's calling. Certainly, they obligate us in terms of how it is that we walk before the Lord. But open the hood, and what do you see how it is that things actually work, undergirding all things in our lives? That God's calling obligates God to work and God to finish what he has begun and to work in us. Uh, This is the life of the church. Two closing uh, thoughts for us. If you've ever known any benefit from the Lord... (laughs) Uh, any benefit from the teaching of the scriptures, uh, any benefit from the fellowship and encouragement of the saints, uh, don't miss where it comes from. It comes from the work of God. Uh, It's not the work of man. It's not the work of yourself. It's the work of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul makes this clear. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. God is the one who gives the growth. And we need to remember that because we constantly appeal to the Lord to work. Because if you forget that, you're going to end up on the side of the road with no gas stranded. Because that's what gives life to the church and what enables us to continue on before him. His work, God himself, will sanctify us. But secondly, lastly is this. Uh, Some of us uh, certainly see in ourselves and even in others what seems to be a lack of life. (laughs) We sort of wonder, what are we going to (laughs) do? What is there to do? Um, And as much as there is a call, as Paul does, we set an example in how it is that we live. Uh, We seek to uh, be eager in teaching faithfully as the scriptures present. We have a sympathy in terms of what it is that others suffer and they go through. Uh, But don't forget to pray. Uh, This is the life of the church. This is what gives life to those who need it. God himself will sanctify. And so we appeal to him as the God who sanctifies. Sanctification is a work of our God, and so we appeal to him. God is faithful. He will surely do it. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church, just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.